Hey everyone, this is Johnny Martinez, pastor of Restoration Church, and welcome to our podcast. We hope this podcast inspires you and encourages you as you seek to follow Jesus. We hope you enjoy the sermon. This morning is week three in the book of Jude, and I'm super excited about it. So as you turn there to Jude, we're going to be looking at Jude uh, 17 to uh, 23, Jude 17 to 23. It's only one chapter. As you go there in your Bibles, let me just kind of give you the big picture of where we've been so far. Uh, week one, Jude encouraged and challenged us and his original audience to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. In other words, to contend for the faith, to fight for true sound theology and sound doctrine. As Jude was writing this letter to Jewish Christians uh, that were uh, being threatened by these false teachers bringing in all types of false teaching and uh, false doctrine into the church and leading people astray. And so Jude says, hey, you got to fight. You got to put on the boxing gloves. Like, it's time to go. Uh, we have to fight for the faith, fight for sound doctrine. Week two, which was last week, we talked about how do we discern, how do we spot a false teacher, someone who's teaching things that are contrary to the Bible, especially salvation issues, gospel-centered issues. And so Jude gave us two things last week. He gave us the destiny of false teachers, which is condemnation. It's a very serious matter. Um, and number two, he gave us a description of false teachers. What do they look like? What do they do? What, 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 is, what does their life resemble? And he just went off on these false teachers, if you remember that. And today, what Jude is going to do, he's going to teach us how to contend for the faith. So Jude in week one says, you got to fight for the faith, but Jude is a good trainer. He's a good coach. He's not only going to tell you, hey, go fight for the faith, swing for the fences, but I'm not going to teach you how to fight. No, Jude says, I'm going to teach you how to contend and what it looks like in our lives to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints, to you and to me. And so he's going to teach how to fight for the faith this morning. So what I want to do is I want to read the passage and then uh, kind of jump into it. So verse 17, it says this, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you in this place. As we were singing earlier, you are triune in your very being, Father, Son, and Spirit, one God, three persons, all fully God. And we worship you, the triune God. 
And Father, we thank you for giving us your word, that it's not just a man-made book, but it is God-breathed, and it is useful to our lives for both salvation and sanctification, to growing in our walk with you and to be conformed into your image. So God, I pray that through your word and through the power of the Spirit, would you illumine our hearts and our minds. May we grasp this text. May we understand it with our intellect. But more than that, may we grasp it with our hearts and may the text grasp us this morning. That we devote time, our energy, our affections, our adoration and our attention to you and your word. God, speak and speak clearly through your word. In your name we pray, amen and amen. So again, Jude is gonna teach us how to contend for the faith. And there are three things that Jude gives us here on how to fight for the faith that was once for all delivered for the saints. And if you're taking notes, the first one is this. We gotta remember Jude says, hey, if you're going to fight for the faith, let me show you how. Let me show you what it takes to fight for the faith. And the first thing is we have to remember. Look at verse 17 through 19. It's very clear that I'm taking this from the passage. He says, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. And so Jude is telling his original audience, guys, you have to remember, you must remember what the apostles said. You must remember what even Jesus said concerning false teachers trying to lead you astray. The word must there uh, makes it a command. For Jude, this is not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's, it's a command. Judas saying, you can't afford to forget this very thing. You can't forget to afford everything that the apostles have said about wolves in sheep's clothing, infiltrating the body of Christ, dividing it, leading people astray. You must remember. And so not only is he speaking to the people of his day, but he's speaking to us as well. People with really bad memory. Anyone have bad memory? Anyone? Yes, we, we have such bad memory in our culture that we need a reminder app to remind us of the things that we need to do. And we still forget to do the things that we're supposed to do that we put a reminder app and then so we have a reminder for the reminder so we don't forget. At least that's me. And so we just have a really bad, bad memory, right? There was a study done that said that immediately, immediately after a 10-minute talk, people only remember 50% of that 10-minute talk immediately. The next day, people only remember 25% of that talk. And then after a week, people remember 10% of that talk for a 10-minute talk. That's why I preach for an hour, because I want you to remember as much as you can, right? As much as you can. We have a short memory. We have a bad memory. And so Jude is saying, church, believers, you must remember. And so what did the apostle say exactly? Let me read you what Paul said about false teachers in Acts chapter 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. Into all the flock 
he's, he's talking to elders, he's talking to pastors of the Ephesian church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own self will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And so the apostle Paul himself says, hey, you guys got to remember this. You have, and to remember that there's false teachers coming into the church, trying to infiltrate the church, also implies to be on alert. If you're going to remember, it implies being alert, being ready. The apostle Peter, what did he say about it? Second Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves a swift destruction. This is the Apostle Peter. The Apostle Peter also, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 3, says this, and it's going to sound familiar to you. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. Does that sound familiar to you? I just read it in Jude. Jude quotes Peter. If, like I said last time, I think 19 out of the 24, 25 verses in Jude are in 2 Peter. So if you read 2 Peter, Jude's going to stand out the entire time. So Jude quotes Peter. He quotes this verse. What about the Apostle John? What did he say about false teachers? He said, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And so, church, the early church just fought and warned against false teachers, bringing in false teaching, false theology, and nothing has changed. Absolutely nothing has changed. And so Jews said, you, you got to remember. You got to keep your head on a swivel. You got to be alert. It happens all the time. And then he again gives us some description of these uh, false teachers in verse 19, like if we needed any more. He just spent, I don't know, 15, 16 verses describing them, but he gives us even more. Jude gives us uh, characteristics of false teachers. He says they divide the church and they're worldly people. They divide the church and they resemble the world. But look what it also says is that they're devoid of the spirit, meaning that there's no life in them. They're spiritually dead, spiritually empty, spiritually bankrupt. And because they don't have the life of God in their soul, then they are worldly people, people who divide the church, people who, who, who are fierce wolves in sheep's clothing trying to destroy the very church of God because they do not have the spirit of the living God in them. Jude calls them animals in the previous section. They're like wild animals just living off their instinct. They're controlled by their human nature. They're controlled by their, 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 their animal instinct instead of being controlled and led by the very spirit of God that is in them. So that's why they do what they do. So church, and it's specifically Restoration Church, we must remember 
ourselves what the apostles said, what Jesus said, that wolves in sheep's clothing are coming and have come. We have to remember the content of their message, that it is completely against the gospel, it is against the Bible. We must remember and recall their character, what they're like, and what we must always remember the chaos that they bring with them. We spoke about it last week. And when we encounter it, even in this church, in Restoration Church, we must never be surprised by it. We must never be shocked by it. Again, the idea of remembering implies being alert. It should never shock us. It should never take us off guard because we are expecting it. And so why should we remember, church? Why should we remember? Because the church, the global church is precious. The local church, Restoration Church, is precious because Jesus died for the church. And so we are to protect it. We are to preserve it, preserve the purity of the church, preserve the power of the church because a church becomes less powerful and ineffective when there's false teaching in it. When purity goes, when doctrinal purity goes, so goes power. And so we are to protect the very precious church that Jesus died on the cross for. Now you might be thinking, Johnny, okay, how practical is this? How relevant is this? Is this even a, does this even apply today? I mean, this just seems so far off. And I hope that these last two weeks you've understood that, no, it happens all the time. And guess what? It happens here at Restoration Church. I don't publicize it. But it happens in the very lobby and in the very courtyard of this church. We have guests that come in looking for a church home. And they're bringing their own doctrine. They're bringing their own teaching. And so they're asking me questions about what we believe and, and where we stand on certain things. And so we're just having a dialogue. And a lot of the times they're, they come with this background of it's faith plus something else. That's usually what it is. Well, I believe in Christ and I believe it's salvation by faith. Plus, you got to do this. Uh, plus, you got to get baptized. Plus, you got to... In church, it, it happens in our lobby. It happens in our courtyard. And so I'm even reminded from time to time that we have to protect the church. It happens. People come in with their own theology, attempting to divide a church. So yes, it's so relevant to what we're experiencing today. Now, do they come back and do they stay? No, they don't. And the hope is I'm out there trying to convert them and, and share the true, the true theology with them, but they're committed to it. And if they're committed to, if they're committed to their false teaching, you just can't bring that in here. Amen? Amen. So we got to remember. We have to remember. Number two, we have to reside. We have to reside. Look at verse 20 and 21. 
It says, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And so here Jude is saying another way we, we contend for the faith is that we have to reside, remain, abide in the love of God. We have to. We must. There's a couple of passages that uh, help us uh, really flesh it out what this really means. John chapter 15, verse 9 through 10 says this. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Look, look at this. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, obedience, right? You will abide in my love, just as I have kept the Father's commandments and abide in his love. The same disciple writes an epistle, 1 John chapter 2, 5 through 6. He says, but whoever keeps his word, whoever keeps God's word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are actually in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So the way that we keep ourselves in the love of God is through obedience. It's through walking like Jesus walked, obeying his word, obeying his commands. Why? Not for salvation purposes, not to, to be saved, but because we're saved. Because we are saved, we have a, a new heart, a new mind, a, a new desires, new affections. And so we are desiring to obey God. And as we obey God because we love him, we are abiding in his love, and then he himself loves us in return. Now, why does this, what does it have to do with contending for the faith and fighting for the faith? Well, when we reside in the love of God, when we remain in the love of God, when we abide in the love of God, we then reflect the love and the light of God to a dark and hopeless world. That's why it's important. So then the question is, how do we keep ourselves in the love of God? Yes, through following his word, but there's a little more specifics that Jude gives us here. Look what he says in verse 20. He says, Building yourselves up in your most holy faith. This is, the, this is the faith that he was referring to in verse 3. When he says that we are to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This is what he's talking about. He says, build yourself up in your most holy faith. Church, we always have to be building. We always have to be growing spiritually. We, have, we can't afford not to be stagnant. We can't afford to be complacent. Why? Because the enemy is not complacent in trying to stop our growth and trying to derail us or lead us astray. And so we are to build ourselves up by the grace of God. Colossians chapter 2, 6 through 7 says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, meaning live like he lived, obedience through, his, through the, the power of the Spirit. He says, rooted and built up in him and established in what? The faith, just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving. So we're to, to grow, church, grow spiritually, be, be built up in 
Christ. And not only are we to individually grow and be built up spiritually, but we're supposed to help each other grow as well. We're supposed to build other people as well. The verse is not on the screen, but in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, it says, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. That, that's why I just personally don't understand the idea of I can be a Christian but not be in community. How can we be faithful to this text without being in Christian community? How can we build other people up and obey this text? when we're not in Christian community, church, small groups, whatever it may be. We gotta build each other. One of the things that I, that I love is, is small groups. Uh, I, love, I look forward every single week to my men's small group. If you don't have a group, I'd love to have you uh, join our group. We sit around a table, we open our Bibles, we pray, we look at the scriptures, we share life together. We build each other up in the faith. And I'm telling you, I'll tell you this, I probably learned more in that little group that I've ever learned in all my time in seminary. I'm telling you, it is, it is special. Everyone shares their different perspectives, experiences. Everyone shares what they know about, about the Bible. We challenge each other, but we're being built up. I love it. We need community. We need each other. I remember uh, God gave Christina and I the, the uh, opportunity, the blessing to build our, our first home and where we still live. And uh, it was a new build. And so I remember when we first, uh, we first built it, we would go every day, right? Like we would go every day to see if they started, uh, to see if they moved dirt, right? Like, I, you know, I think that dirt's out of place. They probably started, you know, there's a, this rock wasn't there last week. I took a picture of it, you know? So we would go like every single week. And I remember they laid the foundation and then they, they you know, they put up the walls and stuff. And so we would just take pictures all the time. But could you imagine if they laid the foundation, they just put up the frame and they stopped there, half built house. And they said, here are your keys, enjoy, right? Could you imagine if they would have said that to us or done that to us? I mean, uh, what good is a half-built house? It's good for nothing. It's good for nothing. What good is a half-built believer? Maybe somewhat ineffective, maybe effective. Not fully effective. Build yourself, believer not in your own power, not in your own might. But how do we build? How do we build? Acts 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of God, of his, and to the word of his grace. Look at this, which is able to build you up. The word of God. The word of God builds you up. The word of God. It's the scriptures that give you spiritual strength, spiritual power, spiritual maturity, and spiritual growth. You don't have to look for it anywhere else. You don't have to search for it anywhere else. It is the word itself that builds you up. Now, you might be thinking, man, I really want to grow in the word, but sometimes 
I don't even understand it. It's so hard to understand. It was written a long time ago. There's some weird words in it. Um, you know, I have this, this translation. It says these and thous and thys, and I don't even know what to... Can I just give you, if, you, if, you're, if you're not in the Word of God, can I just give you some very practical things this morning? Very starter things that any, you could start, and it's going to make a huge, huge difference. The first is this. Get yourself a good study Bible. Seriously, just that's the first thing you do. Just get yourself a very good study Bible. I think, I think the best study Bible out in the market, and it's in my, my favorite study Bible, and it's also uh, the version of the Bible that I preach out of, is the ESV study Bible. Like, you can get it online, too. You can get it in different formats. You can get all kinds of, you know, um, uh, additions and things like that. But get yourself an ESV study Bible. I'm telling you. Like, it, it is so incredibly helpful to know the Word of God. And so when you get your study Bible, I encourage you to do two things. I encourage you to read for breadth, meaning just read. Just read the Bible. Uh, just, just read the Bible. Um, I'm not a big, like, one, one uh, reading the Bible in a year guy. I'm not a, you know, I just kind of read it as I go. I, I pick certain books in the Bible, uh, and I just read them. You know, just, just, you're not trying to go deep. You're, you're just trying to get an overview of the book. Just read for breadth. Secondly, read for depth. This is where you pick a book of the Bible, and I'd really encourage you to just pick the book that we're already doing here at church. We preach through books of the Bible. That's just an easy way to do that. And really study that book using your study Bible. The ESV study Bible has, um, uh, by the way, this is not a paid ad, but not a paid advertisement, or I'm just saying. It'd be, it'd be great if it was. But anyway, uh, the, the ESV study Bible in the very back has tons of articles theological articles, apologetics, world religions, all kinds of... I will tell you this. If you get a study Bible like that, read it from cover to cover, all of the articles, I guarantee it, you will not regret it. You just won't. You will know more just in that study Bible than you would ever know what to do with. But just, it's a simple thing. A study Bible, read for breadth, read for depth, and, you know, have a, have a daily time with the Lord. If you miss one day, don't miss two. If you miss two days, don't miss three, right? Like, just keep going. Number two, I've already mentioned this, very practical. Join a small group. Join a Bible study, uh, especially one of those sermon-based small groups. Ask questions. Hey, I didn't understand that. Pastor Johnny's so confusing. What is he talking? You know, you know just, just ask questions. Build each other up. And number three, attend a Restoration U class. We offer these Restoration U classes once a month, the last Thursday of every month. It's a theological topic. It's a biblical topic. I'm telling you, those are great, led by, by our very own Daniel. Again, very practical, practical things. Just start there. But church, we're built by the Word. It's the Word of God that builds us. Also, Jude says, not only do you keep yourselves in the love of God by building yourselves up, but also by praying in the Holy Spirit. These are such fundamental things, right? Like Jude is not saying some crazy things we've never heard of. He says, read your Bible and pray. But there's gotta be more. I gotta do. read your Bible and pray. The, the fundamentals are the most important thing. And those are the fundamentals. Read your Bible and pray. Those are the most important. Now, I do want to say this, that praying in the Holy Spirit 
does not mean speaking in tongues. That's not what this reference means. That the whole It does not mean speaking in tongues. Why? Well, first and foremost, Paul says that speaking in tongues, if it still happens, which I don't think it happens anymore, uh, he says in that time, well, not everybody gets the gift of tongues. You know, there's, God gives the gifts to certain people and to some he doesn't. We don't, we don't all have the same gifts. That's what he said. But here, though, Judah is saying that everyone should pray in the Holy Spirit. So it can't refer to speaking in tongues. Since Judah is saying everyone should pray in the Holy Spirit. And so Paul, when he talks about tongues, he says some people get it and some people don't. So it can't refer to speaking in tongues. So what, is, what does it refer to, to pray in the Spirit? To pray in the Holy Spirit is to pray according to what the Spirit desires. It is to pray according to the Spirit's will. It is uh, uh, um, uh, to pray according to the Spirit's leading in our lives. That's what it means to pray in the Spirit. What is your will? And we know that the Spirit's will is the Son's will, and the Son's will is the Father's will. And where do we find the will of God? In the Scripture. We did a series, maybe six months ago, I can't remember, but uh, the series was like a three, four-part series titled Understanding the Will of God. I really encourage you to watch that. It's a, it's a very encouraging series, but that's where we find the will of God. Now, there are some things in our lives, right, that, that we just don't know how to pray, a specific, specific situations that we just don't know how to pray because maybe the scriptures don't really cover that exactly or whatever it may be. And so we're just like, how do I pray? Have you ever felt that way? Like, how do I pray in this situation? I don't even know what to say. I don't know where God wants me to go. I don't know what he wants me to do. I just, I don't know. Have you, anybody ever been there? Is it just me? We've been all there, right? I love, you got to get this, guys. This is so good. Romans 8, 26 and 27. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And by weakness, he means not knowing what to pray. For we we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Meaning here groanings is actually the word silence, actually. It's a, it's a silence thing. And he who searches the heart knows, uh, knows what is the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. So when we don't know what to pray in our weakness, the Holy Spirit, Spirit intercedes for us. Now, it doesn't mean that as we try to pray, the Spirit kind of guides us in our prayer. No, no, no. It means that, that the Spirit separately from us is interceding for us. Not that he's interceding through us, but he's in interceding separately from us, and he is praying according to the will of God. And it is the Spirit of God that knows the will of God perfectly. So the Spirit is always praying for us according to the will of God perfectly, even when we don't know the will of God for our lives. The Holy Spirit, in our inability to pray then, intercedes for us according to God's will. 
The Spirit knows God's will perfectly and prays on our behalf. That is why we can say the following. Because here's verse 28. I just read you Romans 8, 26, and 27. But here's why we can quote and claim the promises of Romans 8, 28. You ready? You've heard this before. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, we always hear that verse read, but never in its context. The reason that all things work together for good is because the Holy Spirit is interceding for us when we do not know how to pray. And because he intercedes for us and he knows the perfect will of the Father, everything always works out. Isn't that wonderful? So we got to pray. Why? Because there's power in prayer. There's power in prayer. Again, this is nothing new. There's power in prayer. If all we do is read and study the Bible, we have a lot of light, but no power. We need power. And there's power in prayer. However, if we focus on prayer and disregard the Bible, we may be guilty of zeal and passion without knowledge. But if we disregard both, boy, are we in trouble. Both prayer and the word are needed for spiritual growth in order to effectively contend for the faith, in order for to effectively be built up and remain in the love of God and reflect the love of God to a dark world. Question, how's your prayer life? How's your time with the Lord? How's your devotional time of just opening the word and hearing from him? How's your prayer life? I know things, life gets in the way and life gets hard and we get busy and we forget, but man, we cannot afford church. There's too much writing on this. We can't afford to communicate and talk with God. It was Martin Luther, the great Protestant reformer that says, I have so many things to do today that I will spend the first three hours in prayer. That's what he says. And look, as we're being built up in the love of God through prayer and the word, we're to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Believers must live in light of eternity. Yes, we're to live in the moment and fight and contend for the faith in the moment, but we are to keep our eyes to the future, knowing that we are living for something much greater than ourselves, something more important than ourselves. One day, the fight will be over. We will no longer need to contend for the faith. One day, we will be victorious in Christ. One day we will no longer need to watch out for false teachers and protect the church and protect each other. But until that day comes, we keep our eyes to the future. We have hope that we're victorious. We have hope that Jesus is coming and we will experience his mercy and his presence that leads to eternal life forever. I love what John says in Revelation, the very end of Revelation. He says in verse 
chapter 22, verse 20, he says, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming soon. That's the Lord saying, I'm coming soon. And look what John says, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come now. Can, can we say that? Can you and I say that? Can we, do we live with that hopefulness and eagerness for Christ to come? Like, come, Jesus. Establish your kingdom. We're ready to be with you in your presence for all of eternity. Man, that, that's the perspective we must have. We live for something greater. We live for something much bigger. Amen. So we must remember, we must reside, and lastly, we need to reach. We need to reach. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, and have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. And to others, so he's, he's, yeah, there's three kinds of people here. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So now Jude is saying the way you contend for the faith is to go out and make disciples, to go out and reach people who don't know Jesus, to go out and share the gospel, to go out and not only protect the faith that once was once delivered to the saints, but to go share the faith, to go share the very gospel. And so Jude, he, he really picks three types of people. Notice this, though. Notice the first type of person. And have mercy on those who doubt. Here, I think he's talking about people who are doubting, people who are kind of confused, right? People who are just lost right now. Well, I've heard this about Christianity, but then uh, this other religion, or my fa- I grew up in this tradition, and my family goes to this type of church, and and uh, even within Christianity, you have all types of different beliefs, and so maybe someone's just doubting, someone's just confusing, confused. Uh, someone is, again, even just being pulled away by false doctrine, and they don't know if it's true or not. And, and, and so Jude is saying, have mercy on these people. Like, be kind, be compassionate, be tender, be gentle. They're, they're in a very vulnerable moment on what to do. They're confused, but, they're, but they need to be they need to be reached with the gospel. I was uh, at the men's group. Again, this is one of the other reasons why I love uh, just being in community. Um, Greg, our elder, shared that him and his uh, evangelism small group, um, they go out to Lake Pleasant and Happy Valley by the Chipotle, and they set up a little tripod with a whiteboard. They ask people just a, a question like, hey, can you take our survey? And that just strikes up a, a gospel conversation. And that's all they do, uh, you know. And, and Greg was saying that um, that, uh, that day, as they were going to go out, this happened, just, I think, last week or so, that Greg had an extra Bible with him. And he said, you know what, God, I want to give this Bible out to someone today. And he, he put a church invite card, and, and he's like, you just make it clear, God, uh, who, who this Bible needs to go to. And so they're out there, and they're about to kind of wrap it up for the night. It's getting dark, wrapping it up, and come, uh, up comes a young lady, and they begin a conversation. And this young lady was sharing with them that, uh, 
that she just uh, came from a medium, that she just came from a place where they were reading her cards and she's just confused about life and that she's confused about what to do and, and all kinds of stuff. And so Greg and his team were there just sharing the gospel with her. And then she goes, I just, you know, they're, they're quoting scripture to her. They're talking, she says, I just need something physical. Like, I just need something physical that I need to read. And Greg goes, I got something for you. And he gives her a brand new Bible. And they stay there for about 30 minutes or so, sharing Christ, sharing the gospel, patiently, gently, with compassion to someone who confused, who was doubting, who was being led astray by card readers and mediums and all kinds of things. That's what it looks like today. Secondly, look what he says in verse 23. He says, save others by snatching them out of the fire. I think what he's talking about here is not people who are confused, but really people who are convinced. Uh, people who really believe in uh, a, a teaching or a doctrine or a gospel that's contrary to sound teaching. It could be really anyone who doesn't know Christ, but they're convinced that their way is right and that biblical Christianity is wrong. But look what he says, though. He says, save others by snatching them. That's a really, really strong word, that word snatching. It's a strong word, and it implies force. It implies taking them by force. It, imp it implies saving them from eternal hell because they, they're believing in a gospel that cannot save. They might be believing in a Jesus that can't save or a other religion that can't save. And Judas saying, those people need to be reached by force. And so a lot of the times when we evangelize and reach people and try to share the gospel, it's like, hey, it's only if you want to. Hey, if you want to come to Christ, that's totally up to you. No pressure. Like, it's, if you want to, it's, you want to. And church, we have to be convincing. We have, to we have to be persuasive. I mean, these are eternal life and death matters here. We can't just be very nonchalant. Well, it's up to you. No. We have to be convincing. We have to pray. We have to ask God for guidance and discernment, the right, the right words to say. These are people who are convinced. I think we all have people in our lives that are either confused or convinced that we need to reach. And lastly, look at this last type of person. He says, to others, show mercy. Again, mercy, but notice he added with fear. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garments stayed by flesh. Here, I think he's talking about those who are completely committed, people who are antagonistic to the gospel, people who are antagonistic to Christ. I mean, these are the false teachers themselves, committed to leading others astray. But again, they also need mercy, don't they? Just like you and I. They also need the gospel, the good news of Christ. But he says, with fear, meaning with caution, believer. You can't approach every single person the same. You just can't. And so Jude, if you've noticed 
he uses some strong words, doesn't he, in this letter? And Jude uses a very strong image here. He says, hating even the garment stained by flesh. The garment is essentially a person's underwear. And he's saying, you know, you have to be careful hating even their underwear that's stained by human feces. It's a strong, strong image. And this is his point. You see, no one wants to handle or touch or be polluted by another person's stained underwear. In the same way, believers are to show extreme caution. Like if you were handling someone else's polluted underwear, believers are to show extreme caution in getting too close to false teachers. Why? Because they're good. Because they're sneaky. Because they know how to talk. Because, I mean, just think about it. Think about a brand new baby believer going up to someone who's super committed, a super committed false teacher. Judas saying, hey, I'm not saying not to reach them, but be very careful. I mean, this is what happened in the Galatian church. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul writing to the Galatians, brothers, if anyone is caught in any trespass, uh, you who are sp uh, spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. So you have to watch, church. You have to be careful and cautious who you're talking to. Because I've seen believers talk to people and then get themselves confused with someone who's really articulate and is actually using the same very Bible that the believer's using as well. And so Jesus says, be cautious, just like you were handling someone else's dirty underwear. Now, there's also a beautiful picture of this stained garment as well in the Bible. Usually, this idea of a stained garment is also, a, or stained, or, or the flesh is, is also synonymous with just the lack of purity, defilement, our sinful nature prior to Christ, someone who doesn't know Christ, someone who doesn't have the spirit of God in them, someone who hasn't been born again, our state prior to Christ, prior to salvation, this idea of a stained, polluted garment. And I think Jude is pointing to or pulling from the book of Zechariah, such a beautiful picture. Let me, let me take you there. And I really want to take my time to walk through this very slowly because I think it's important. In Zechariah chapter 3, 1 through 4, it says this, and we're going to walk through this slow. He says, then he showed me. So, so Zechariah has a vision. And he says, then he showed me Joshua the high priest, not to be confused with Joshua, Moses' successor, okay? Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. We'll, we'll keep that verse there. So let me just give you the, scenario, the, the scenery here, the scenario. Zechariah has a vision, the heavenly courtroom scene. You have Joshua, the high priest, and you have Satan accusing 
him. He's accusing him of everything he's done. He's accusing all the people of Israel that he represents, right? Now, the verse 1 says the angel of the Lord, right? Who is that? Who is the angel of the Lord? The angel of the Lord, church, is none other than the pre-incarnate Christ. Let me show you. And this happens throughout the Old Testament, by the way. Look at verse 2. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. Now think about that for a second. Verse two, right? And the Lord, pre-incarnate Christ, said to Satan, the Lord, the Father, rebuke you. There's two lords here. They gotta be accounted for. The Lord Christ said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this brand plucked from the fire? Is not this piece of wood taken out from the fire and saved? Verse three. Now Joshua was standing before the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. Now you have the pre-incarnate Christ, Joshua, and Satan, and Satan is accusing him. And look at what Joshua is wearing. Clothed with filthy garments. A life that's polluted. A life that's stained, defiled. But look what the pre-incarnate Christ does. Verse four. And the Lord said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And to him he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. Church, this here is none other than the doctrine of justification, where Jesus Christ forgives us of our sins. He removes those filthy rags. And not only does he just forgive us and remove our sin and remove our iniquity and remove our stained, filth clothing, but also he clothes us with his righteousness, a foreign righteousness, an alien righteousness that we did not deserve, a righteousness that only comes by faith in Christ. And now we stand before the throne, not Guilty. And look what he says. Behold, I have taken your iniquity. I will clothe you. We did nothing. Christ did everything. We cannot save ourselves. Our righteous deeds are not good enough. It is only by the righteousness of Christ, through faith in Christ, by his grace alone, that we can stand before the Father. From filthy rags to pure vestments, by the work of Christ on the cross. And this is, text is not only for false teachers. 
This text is for everyone who doesn't have a relationship with Christ. So whether you're here this morning, you don't know Jesus, you're watching online, or you might watch this sermon some point, come to Christ. Come trade your filthy, polluted life for a brand new one of purity and righteousness and eternal life. Come trade in your clothes. Come surrender your life to Christ. Repent of your sin means to turn the other way. You're going down one way, and it's to make a mental shift and say, you know, my ways are not better. God's ways are better. God's word is better. To repent and place your faith on the finished work of Christ on the cross. Come to Christ. Come exchange your clothes. Clothes that will never defile. Clothes that will never need to be washed again. Come to Christ. Come to Believers, This was you before Christ saved you. This was you before you were converted. This was me. There has never been anyone who was saved that didn't have filthy clothes. God only saves those with filthy clothes. And if you are in Christ, that was you. But amen and amen that he didn't leave us there. He clothed us with his righteousness. He clothed us with, his, with power from on high. The power of the spirit in our lives. So believer, that is why we contend. Because of what Christ has done for us. Fight for the faith. How do we contend? We remember, we don't put our guard down. We're always on the alert. We reside. We keep ourselves in the love of God by walking in him, reflecting the love of God and the light of God to, to a dark world through the power of the word of God and the power of prayer. And third, we reach people. We go after people that don't know Christ because heaven is at stake. Eternity matters. And the only thing that you and I can take to heaven is people. We can't take our house. We can't take our car. We can't take our money. We can't take our toys. We can't take our degrees. We can't take our reputation. We cannot take anything. The only thing we can take is people. And at the end of the day, that's all that matters. People far from Christ contend for the faith. Let's pray. God, we love you. And we are so grateful and thankful that you, God, sent your son Jesus to remove our filthy rags and to clothe us with perfect righteousness. A righteousness not of our own, but a righteousness that we have through faith by grace. And so God, I pray that 
those of us who've experienced your grace and call ourselves believers in Christ, that we may remember and always recall the, the beauty of our salvation and that it would fuel us to fight for the faith, to fight for sound doctrine, to protect the purity of your church and to fight for the family and friends and coworkers and neighbors who do not know you yet. May you give us a, a passion like never before for the lost. May you give us a heart for the lost. May you give us this desire to have them experience the same hope and joy and purpose and meaning and peace that we've experienced. And yes, it's scary, but I pray that through the power of your indwelling spirit, will you give us the boldness and the courage of Peter and John who said, I would rather please God than men and to go proclaim and share the gospel from the rooftops. God, we love you. We honor you in this place. Give us the courage and boldness to fight. Fight hard for the faith till you come back. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Love you. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening. Special thanks to those who give generously to this ministry. Without you, this ministry would not be possible. If you feel led to give, please use the link below as we seek to make a difference in people's lives. Also, please make sure to share this with your family and your friends. Again, thank you so much for listening.